Hello and welcome to Business Speed here on Business Radio X. I'm Mike Salmon, sitting in for John Ray alongside Roger Lusby with Fraser Dieter. Roger, good morning. Hey, Mike. Good morning. This is our first show of the new year, and so we're excited to see 2020 here. Yes, and you've got the uh, you've got the expert here in the catbird seat. But next week, next next month, John will come back, and it'll <laughs> be like old times. That's right. That's right. Yes, yeah, it's going to be a great 2020, and uh, of course, uh, Business Speed is a monthly show here on Business Radio X. And to start off the new year, you've got a special guest. Well, I'm pleased to say that I've got my partner, Mike Chang, who is uh, joining me today. Uh, Mike just joined the firm uh, recently. I've been here less than one year and uh, is trying to uh, and is heading up our uh, auditing and uh, assurance advisory department. But Mike's got a very, very unique background, a very talented individual. And so we welcome you, Mike, and maybe you can tell us a little bit about your background. Oh, thank you. Thank you, and good morning. Good morning. Um, I'm very excited to be here. Um, if you ask, I mean, Roger probably knows me. Anytime I get to talk about technical accounting, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I light up. Yeah. So maybe just how my career went and how I got to where I'm at. Um, so, you know, like a typical accountant, I went to college, got out, and I started at, at that time, it was called a big five. Um uh, the firm was PwC. I think we can probably say it. And I was there short of a decade and I primarily focused on auditing. So when you have generally accepted accounting principles or you need gap financial statements, I was sitting there auditing those financial statements. Um, and through that process, I realized that I kind of fell in love with technical accounting. Um, and, and it's odd because I think people that usually like technical accounting don't think of themselves as people, people, right? So I make decisions thinking about how a person would kind of react. And, and I love establishing relationships. And as I was auditing, technical accounting was kind of my path to do that. Um, a lot of people hate it. They don't want to study it. And I felt like I was helping people resolve their challenges and issues by helping explain what, you know, how, how you do the accounting. And that led me to joining the FASB, which is, stands for the Financial Accounting Standards Board. So I was a PwC for about just shy of a decade. Then I went to the Financial Accounting Standards Board, and I was there for about seven years. And the FASB is the sole organization in the United States that sets generally accepted accounting principles. So you might be familiar if you invest in stock, right? Let's say you invest in Home Depot or Facebook or Google. They're publicly traded companies and you will get usually four financial statements a year at least, right? They're called the 10Qs. So that is a quarterly filing or you'll get a 10K. And when you're looking through those financial statements, the rules that they abide by is what is set by the FASB. Um, now you might have a private company that's actually trying to obtain financing, right? So if they go to their bank, generally a bank would need to know, well, how's this company doing, right? Can they repay their obligations? Um, or you might be thinking about investing. So those are also companies that kind of uh, you know comply with generally accepted accounting principles. I did that. I loved it. I mean, it was something I'm passionate about. But I felt like I was missing out on client service. Um, so I looked around actually across the country. Um, I think a natural way back would actually have been to a big four firm now, right? There's four big accounting firms. But I just felt like it wasn't me. Um, you know, so I looked at a couple firms, one of which was Frazier and Dieter. I'd been to Atlanta a couple times, but you know, it was just a big city that I enjoyed when I was here, but I had no family. Um, my only tie was really Frazier and Dieter. I started talking to a couple of the partners and I realized that this 
firm was very different. Um, I mean, for the size of the firm and the talent that existed, it, it, it just impressed me. Um, and, and I dealt with it at the financial accounting standards. And we board. were pretty, we were pretty fortunate because we have a, a big annual um, CPE event, which is our continuing professional mm-hmm. education. And we invite uh, all of our clients that, that need to keep up with the, uh, with the educational requirements. And we brought Michael in to speak for us and yep. uh, to handle the technical issues on the audit side. And um, so I remember being there. And the first time that I heard Michael speak, I said, Man, we need to hire this guy. <laughs> oh, that's great. I'm glad I'm glad you thought that. <laughs> and then the second time I heard him speak, we said, Man, we really need to hire this guy. And uh, you know, one thing led to another and uh here he is now, living in Atlanta with his family. And yeah. um, um we're we're excited to have him. Yeah. Um no, and you, you know, you talk about speaking and and uh you know, the two CP events are actually several CP events. That's continuing professional education, right? Mm-hmm. So you got the CPAs that kind of come in and they need to stay up to date on technical accounting. And I guess I love to explain things and, and try to keep people awake. I mean, I talk about technical accounting and I, actually there's a story that I usually share when I first meet somebody. And Roger, you probably heard of it before. If you're an accountant, right? Um, it, one, it's a pretty broad term. It's kind of like the term we use for farmers, Right, like a dairy right. farmer is a farmer. You could be a farmer, a soybean farmer. Um, they're both called farmers, but they do vastly different things. Right, like a dairy farmer probably doesn't know too much about soybean farming, and vice versa. And I feel like the same thing kind of plagues CPAs or accountants. Right, and, and I always get one or two responses in a social setting, in a in a party or whatever. Right, you're going around, and the natural discussion is, "What do you do?" And when people talk about, hey, I do, you know, construction or I'm a teacher or I'm a nurse, there's always just this natural follow on. People are very interested in kind of what they do and learning about them. Unfortunately, when it comes out to the CPA, like when it comes to me, right, I, I always got one or two responses and and one would be, oh, I got this like tax issue. Right? <laughs> exactly. Is it a deduction, you know, that I can take? Um, they go right to business. Right. They go right well, to they business. They go right to taxes. You're, no, they go right to taxes. You're on the clock. Yeah, yeah. No. And, and well- Here's the thing. If I don't do taxes that well, I mean, I'm probably better than your average Joe out there trying to, you know, figure out their tax return, but that is Roger's specialty. So you're like the soybean farmer being asked about dairy farming. Exactly. Exactly. Um, And at least that's how I feel. Now, that's if they have a tax question. If taxes are off their mind, this is usually what happens. Everybody around will get quiet (laughs) and then they kind of just walk away because they're trying to be polite. Right. Because they're like, well, this guy's a CPA. He's going to have no personality. I can't talk to him. Um, But in my own profession, I I almost share a similar feeling. Right. So so I used to do quite a bit of um, speaking engagements for the Financial Accounting Standards Board. And in these conferences, we're all CPAs. Everybody around you is a CPA. They're there to get their continuing professional education. So, you know, that they're a CPA. And it's the same thing. You'll, you'll have a social event. People will go around and talk about what they do, right? Some will say, I'm a controller or I run a company, I'm a CFO or I'm a tax accountant or I do auditing. And then they'll share their war stories. Um, comes back around to me. And they, interestingly, when I tell them I'm from the Financial Accounting Standards Board, I get one or two responses. If there's a technical accounting issue, like, you know, you might hear the term VIE or some weird, like I got a leasing transaction that I'm not sure, you know, how to deal with, they'll ask me a question on it. But if they don't have any questions, they get quiet and they can just walk away. 
because they know this guy is weird. If he went to the Financial Accounting Standards Board, he's got to have no personality, <laughs> and he loves technical accounting. I don't want to talk about that. Mike so. Cheng is our guest here on Business Speed. He's with Frazier and Dieter, and, and you keep using the term technical accounting. Yes. So how is that different from what – and you made a great reference with the farmers. I, I put accountants all in one pot. Bucket. Yeah. Yeah, one bucket. Naturally. And, and, and so I would think – I'd ask you a tax question too. What right. is technical accounting? How is that different from someone that does do taxes, for example? Yeah, so you know, for taxes – one, you're required. Everybody has to file, ta- whether you're an individual or if you're a taxable entity, you got to file taxes, right? And that's to figure out how much you owe the government, right? In generally accepted accounting principles, if you're publicly traded, then you need to obviously prepare those, right? And these are general purpose financial statements. And it's there's a lot of rules to it. It gets fairly complicated. So you would think, you know, it's not that complicated, but it, it really is. And a lot of people kind of struggle with it. And I think the way I kind of approach it is generally, or when you're talking about accounting or anything, it, it is the language of business. Actually, mm-hmm. Roger, I think coming on the way here, we talked about that, right? And it's just the language and it's how you kind of communicate or share your financial story. Um, the way I think about it is you got financial statements. And I think we throw that term out quite a bit, right? So we know what a balance sheet or a statement of financial position is. And we know what an income statement is and a cash flow. But did we ever sit back and kind of think about what those financial statements mean, right? So a statement of financial position or another word for it is a balance sheet. On the left side, for an accountant, they say it's the left side, right? You have your assets. This It could be cash. It could be your property, plant, and equipment. That is kind of what you own. And on the right side of a balance sheet, it breaks down into two things. Well, did you own that asset because you issued debt or you owe somebody still, right? Like a mortgage or a liability or payable. Or do you, does the company actually own it themselves? And we call that equity, right? So that gives you your position. How do you, you, you got assets. Do you owe other people money or do you own it? And a banker or anybody investing obviously needs to know, hey, do I want to invest this in this company? If they got a lot of obligations outstanding, they might not be able to pay me back or maybe they might not be profitable, right? So that's your balance sheet. And that tells a certain story, but doesn't tell the entire story. So then you kind of move over to the income statement, right? Kind of your performance. And I think a lot of people, when you ask them, well, what does an income statement represent? I think they're going to tell you how much money they make, right? It's kind of the layman terms. But in reality, what you're actually just measuring is your change in net assets. Okay? So I'm going to say that again. It's a change in net assets. So, you know, you, you, you think about it. You might say, well, I can increase my assets, but what net assets means is I got an asset and I have to net it against what I owe. So you can increase your assets really quickly, right? I could borrow a million dollars. So my cash goes up by a million dollars, but what's going to happen on either side? I now owe a million dollars. Did I improve my net assets? No, right? So on the income statement, you're not going to see anything there. But what does you know a company like Apple do? right? They might buy or create inventory that costs them a couple hundred dollars. But then what do they do? They go around. So, so now I've acquired assets, right? I paid, let's say I borrowed money to buy inventory and I, I borrowed a hundred dollars to buy a hundred dollars worth of inventory. So obviously my inventory goes up by a hundred. My liabilities go up by a hundred. My net asset position has not changed, but if I'm successful, what I'm going to try to do is sell that inventory, right? And I'm going to sell the inventory I bought for a hundred, hopefully for 200 or more. Now, if I sell that for, let's say, 200, what happened? My cash went up by 200. 
my inventory went down by 100, but my net assets just went up by 100. And that's all the income statement is trying to show you is I have my statement of financial position. How did I improve my position through a given period of time? And then your last statement is statement of cash flows. Cash is king. People want to know how much money did you make from your operations in terms of cash inflows? How much money did you spend investing in your company? And how much money did you either pay or get in from financing your activities? And all that is just sharing a story on what your financial, like sharing your financial story, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but it gets complicated, right? So well, it's very complicated. Yeah. And again, we are rules based. And so even with artificial intelligence, even with the bots that are out there to, to, to maybe handle a lot of the, the routine financial transactions, you have to have somebody be able to interpret the rules and, uh, and then be able to tell a client how it applies to them specifically. And so who better than somebody who worked at the FASB where they wrote all the rules uh, <laughs> to be able to interpret those? Right. And so from our standpoint, we were, we were very fortunate, very, very fortunate to be able to take or bring a talent like Mike Chang to our firm. And so that was exciting for us. But typically, he'll be helping us with, uh, with technical matters as it applies to our audit clients. Uh, he'll be helping us with, uh, with consulting or advisory. We have big clients that are just looking for an interpretation or documentation of the rule that they want to be able to use yeah. uh, with regard to their GAP financial statements. And so that's kind of where we see Mike and uh, heading up this service inside this audit and assurance uh, uh, department within Frazier and Dieter. Yeah. It seems like, Mike, they gave you a lot of autonomy to kind of go in the direction you want to go and, and even help 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 in the direction of the company as well. Yeah. Oh, that you have a lot of say. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think naturally I'm entrepreneurial. So Frazier and Dieter is entrepreneurial. And I think that's why I joined the – I mean, it was one of the main yeah. reasons why I came here. I want to help clients and I kind of want to help them the way I – want to help right and i, and I think that's true because we're yeah. creating a position for mike yeah right. it's not like he's coming in and replacing anybody kind of figuring and it out so as we're you go yeah we're way. creating this position and hopefully we'll figure it out as we go and uh, i'm sure it'll be a great success yeah no what has been your biggest surprise since joining the firm something that i mean a pleasant surprise something oh wow i didn't expect that um so i think there's been a lot of surprise i mean so I knew that Fraser and Dieter was a good firm, but I think the biggest surprise is it's better than I thought. I, I mean, honestly, going in, I think the people are fantastic. The talent po- – remember there was a story that I was sharing um, with – or I was asking a question of another partner that I'm, I'm pretty close with here. And I was naming off some of the more senior staff, right, the managers. And I'm like, so, you know, where did this person come from, this person? I, I just came here, so I'm trying to – I, I'm observing. I'm trying to figure out who getting the, strongest, the lay of the land. Lay of the land. Who are the strongest staff were? And I'm like, man, they're great. They connected with me, and they're very technically strong. Obviously, I appreciate that. Right, being technically strong and be able to relate to people. And I was like, so what other firm did they come from? Did they what big four firm did they come from? And you know, the partner kind of stopped and said, Mike, they what do you? What, well, I don't understand your question. And I'm like, well, no, what? Like you know, I came from the FASB. I came from PwC. What firm did they come from? He's like, no, I they. They started here, Mike. Yeah, we recruited them right out of college. They recruited or, them right out of college. Own. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So at that point, I realized that there was something special, right, in the culture. I mean, the staff that I pointed out, I thought could only come from one of these more largest, prestigious firms. I would say, and if, if 
you know, if there was a team out there and I, if I could bet, I would bet on the Frazier and Dieter team mm-hmm. that were born and bred. I think they're much stronger staff. They're very talented relative to the most sophisticated companies, the largest companies that I've dealt with. I mean, I think that they're just a stronger breed. So that, that to me has been this biggest, biggest surprise, right? Coming to a, I mean, it's top 50 firm right around that size here, which is impressive, but there's a big gap between 50 and how large you are when you're the big four. Big fours, they're counting by billions. Right. Right. And there's, I mean, they resources are unlimited on a relative uh, basis. They can hire anybody that they want, but the talent pool, I've been more impressed with a firm called Frazier and Dieter, you know, that most people probably in the Northeast have never heard of. But in the Southeast, I can see why they made the name for themselves. Right? Yeah, it was such a nice answer. And I yeah. thought he might say Atlanta's <laughs> weather was the biggest surprise. Yeah, we, hopefully we got that on tape for the podcast and that'll yeah. you can reuse that. Well, it's kind of like being, and I'm going to equate this to college football, which is huge in this part of the, and I know you're from Rochester, New York. We talked yes, about it before yes, the show. Yes. Down here, college football is king, huge. not quite as big as it is up in the Northeast. And I, I can talk from experience. So you're like a five-star recruit coming here. You know, back home, you were the king. You come in here and now you're playing with other five-star recruits <laughs> all of a sudden it's more of a level I'm a playing kid field. on the block yes <laughs> yeah yeah you don't stand out quite as much you're you're, you're among your peers yeah yeah so mm-hmm. well talk to me uh and we're talking with mike chang with fraser and dieter when you were a 10 year old kid i mean what got you into the business when you're 10 years old were you thinking i want to be in the cpa business how, how did it, you get to you know you talked about from the board to where you are now yeah how did you even get in the career in the first place so look i loved school um, I mean, I was a nerd. Were you always up, a numbers guy? I was always a numbers guy, right? So I think naturally I, I, I did math. and But I quickly found out that, man, going into math, you got to get a PhD. At the time, at least when I was studying, right? I think you had to go pretty far into it. And I quickly realized I like math, but I think I like business more, right? Business is kind of, if you're good at business or generally like, in, you know, in accounting or whatever, it Let's say you like fashion. Well, you could be an accountant. You could look at finances from a fashion perspective or gaming or consumer products. The world's your oyster. I mean, you could do anything you want. And that's kind of what intrigued me. And I loved learning. I loved economics. Um, So I quickly found out I'm going to do accounting. And and if you looked at kind of the curriculum when I was going in, maybe that's just because the the way I am. I, I did do a lot of planning, right? I looked at the curriculum. And I looked at it, I was like, well, if you start with accounting, you could always go to finance, you could always go to marketing. But if you start with something like marketing or finance, you can't go later unless you kind of backtrack and take those courses, right? So I started with accounting. I did a couple of years and I loved it. And I, right out of college, did it and I haven't stopped. At what age did it it hit you, I want to do accounting? I would say 16. So you're still, still in high school. And for me, it was 11th grade. So Really? Yeah. yeah. Okay. But that's that's pretty common. Most of us are pretty strong mathematically. Most of us have yep. good analytical skills. Uh, it, it's really the communication skills, the, the, the speaking and the writing skills, which I think can ultimately separate uh, CPAs later on. Oh, yeah. Later on in their, prof- in their professional careers. Yeah. So. Oh, no. I mean, I think, you know, we're social creatures and it's a language. Right. And the language can be pretty complicated, but it's kind of how you convey the message and explain things to others. Um, so right now, I'm sorry, I'm probably taking us off task, but I, I, I have to get back into technical accounting um, if that's OK. No, no, that's fine. And, yeah. you know, FASB's got a couple of uh, 
big changes yes. on the horizon. So maybe yeah. you can address those. Yeah. So I think a lot of people, there, there's been a, actually a lot of anxiety. You might have heard of revenue recognition coming down the pipeline, or, or some people might call that topic 606. That's, that's the standard codification for how to recognize revenue. I've been doing that too much. I'm actually more interested in the future, right? Coming down the pipeline for private companies, they're going to have to deal with lease accounting. I mean, lease accounting is going to be huge for a lot of private companies. Unpack that. What is lease accounting? So lease accounting is if you have a leasing arrangement, right? If you have a certain arrangement, how's that going to look on your income, your balance sheet, your income statement and statement of cash flows, right? There is a rule if you have a lease and how to do the accounting. Today, a lot of the leases, I would say, are off book. Meaning right. like if, if you went out and you rented an office building for five years, that doesn't show up on your balance sheet. There's no liability when you sign up for a five-year lease. What happens is as you're kind of paying your rent, you book an expense. It's kind of your, as you incur the expense, you book it, right? Tomorrow, when topic 842, which is the codification reference for, or it's the rules of how you're going to account for leases, that's going to change pretty drastically. And the biggest change is that if you sign up for that same five-year lease, it's going to end up being a liability on your books. And you're also going to book an asset, right? The whole idea is you're now committed. You're going to have to make payments. It's a liability. It should be reflected on your books. Think about that, right? Think of how many leases people have. Yeah. Think about how many leases Coca-Cola might have yeah. across, <laughs> yeah. across the world, okay? And most of these leases were off the financial statements. They were... They were all properly recorded in, in the footnotes, okay? So a, a user, a reader of the financials would have that information. But now they're going to be on the balance sheet uh, as a liability and as a uh, what, what I call a fake asset, yeah. um, which will be the, uh, the value of that, that, that lease contract. Yeah. So, and to give you an idea of the complexity, you know, you take, um, I'll give them a shout out. All right, so- I think one of the best guides written on that is a big four firm, right? A big, they have obviously, uh, again, relatively unlimited resources in thinking about this. They have an army drafting the books. And you pick up KPMG's guide. Go ahead and search a KPMG's handbook on leases. And if you go and, and you click it, you download the PDF, just on how to account for leases is a, over a 1,000 pages. I'm not exaggerating. I'm being very literal here, right? I think it's maybe 1,100 pages on just how to account for leases. You haven't gotten to revenue, anything else on your, that's just one line item, right? On, on the balance sheet, or I, I'm sorry, two line items. Now you have the asset and your liability and it gets very complex. So maybe one thing I could talk about is just a scope, like whether the standard even applies to you, right? So what is a lease? Um, you go into the standard, you unpack it. It basically boils down to two things. And, and this is in plain English, right? So can you identify an asset and do you have the right to use that asset over a period of time? Okay. So again, I'm going to say, can you identify an asset and can, do you have the right to basically control the use of that asset? You think of land, your, your most, that's the most simple type of leasing arrangement you could probably think of, right? Most plain vanilla. I lease you land for 10 years. Can you identify the parcel of land? Yes. Right. Do I have the right to use that land for 10 years? You answer yes. That's clearly a lease, right? Or the office building or equipment. Those are easy things to identify whether there's a lease. 
Here's the thing, though. I just gave you the definition, and I think, you know, I'm seeing Roger, I'm seeing Mike. You're, you're nodding your head. Like, that actually makes sense. Right. Yeah, that's a lease. Now go and book the asset and liability. Simple. Simple. Here's the thing. Most leases are not pure leases, right? You think of the office building that we're sitting in. Do you think all you're getting is the use of some type of property or an office building? No. Generally, it's going to come with landscaping services, right? It's going to come with electric or, or maybe some type of common area maintenance, which is what you commonly see for a real estate lease, right? So that is not just a pure lease. There's a service embedded in that. And we're not trying to capitalize the service. We're just trying to capitalize the lease. Now, extend it a little further. Let's say you're just a restaurant chain, right? And you got, and this is actually a client, right? So they had about 600 restaurant locations across the country. They knew the leases, right? The lease of XYZ location where they're housing or where they're, they're doing business. That's their restaurant. But have you ever thought about Coca-Cola, right? Or Pepsi, the, product, the syrup that you're purchasing? Just think about that, right? What do you normally... So if I buy uh, soda syrup, right? What do they normally throw in there? A refrigerator or a soda dispensing machine? If you're Coca-Cola, because we're in Atlanta, they give you a freestyle. Some of, some of them have a freestyle machine. So yes, embedded in there, I'm thinking I'm buying soda, right? And that's probably 95%, 90% plus of the economic arrangement of what I'm trying to do. I'm just trying to buy drinks. But embedded in that contract is the lease of this freestyle machine, right? The soda dispensing machine. Think about it. The standard says if there is an asset and you have the right to use that, well, what's the asset? It's a soda dispensing machine. What's the purpose of the asset and the use of it? To dispense soda. Who controls it if you lock in a three-year term to buy syrup? The person buying the syrup. That is a lease that nobody thought is a lease. Go a little further. You know, you, you're you in a bar, right? And you go in a lot of times. Why do you go to a sports bar? You just talked, right? You talked about the game. Right. Well, you're going to have to get a subscription to cable services, right? Or satellite services. And if you look at your bill, or if you haven't cut the cord yet, right? You look down the statement. What do you see? Yes, I'm going in there. I'm just trying to get the game on my TV. But embedded in there is the cable, the set-top box, or maybe the satellite dish that they give you. And they actually charge you. They say the monthly rental charge is X, Y, and Z. So embedded in this cable service or this sports service that you're just trying to get, you got a lease. Those are embedded in all these contracts. Leases are almost everywhere. And, and that's even just even more, I think, easier to see, I think, when I explain you, you think a little further outside of the restaurant. When you go, in, and this is actually, you know, one of the cool things that I came here. I love, by, by the way, the Chick-fil-A <laughs> signs, right? Like, right. you know, eat more chicken, right? You look at a billboard. Is that a lease? I think most people would say yes, right? I have a billboard. What's the purpose? Of, I, I, I've, I've identified the billboard, right? That's the principle. The second component is what's, do I control the use of that? Yes, it's to advertise, right? Um so I think people will call that a lease. But then my next question is, what if I took that same billboard picture and I just put it on the side of a building? Is that a lease? <laughs> right? And if you answer yes to that, then if you all watch Days of Thunder, right? What did you see on, the, uh, on that? We were talking about Tom Cruise. That's why that's on top of mine. What did you see on top of that hood? Mellow yellow, right? That was is, leased. Is that mm -hmm. a lease? Mm -hmm. Placement. 
placement. Yeah. So you, and by the way, it gets a lot more complicated. Those are the two fundamental concepts, but you apply it in the real world. And these crazy questions come up, and they matter because it's going to affect. And then, of course, you have rent escalations. You got cam expenses being passed through and adjusted upward or downward. You got kickout clauses and all this. So, in our world, this is a monumental change. But we did get some good news in that we got a deferral of this. Yes, yes. There's maybe maybe you can touch upon that, and then we'll wrap up. Okay. Yeah. So originally, right before this deferral. This whole lease accounting thing, if you're a calendar year-end private company, meaning your financial statements or the period ends at December 31st, it was going to be effective for you in 2020, so the, the following year. Just recently, um, you know, less than a several months ago, they extended, um, the this, this, they provided a deferral. They gave a little more relief and they said, okay, private companies, don't worry about it. You have now until 2021 of your calendar year-end to uh, apply. So we got a one-year deferral on that. Okay. And then for public companies, Mike? Oh, they've been doing it. Yeah. Q1 of 2019, if you're a calendar year, and in fact, that's what I've been primarily helping publicly traded companies implement the new standard because it's a huge undertake. In fact, now as we're speaking, public companies that should have been doing this, I mean, Q1 of 2019 was almost a year ago, right? Public companies now that have implemented are still trying to implement leases. They've realized they're doing all these workarounds, realizing that they should have started earlier. So my concern now is that, yes, it's great that we have some breathing room, right? We have some runway to implement leases for private companies. My huge fear, right, is that people are going to put this off to the wayside and procrastinate, and then at the 11th hour, try to deal with it. When they know they have to deal with it now, and at that point, you're not going to have the resources to address the accounting issues. You're not going to be thoughtful, Right. And, and applying, you're going to be rushed. And then when you rush mistakes, they happen, they happen in, invariably. Yeah. And then you, they have to start their communications with their bankers because yep. they've got loan covenants and everything mm-hmm. else that, that will suddenly be calculated differently or should be. Yeah. Uh, otherwise they're going to be an immediate violation of their loan covenants. Yeah. And, and you know, the difference I, I appreciate probably going a little over, but I don't think about just helping you with the accounting, right. Or the debits and credits. I think about the entire process. Again, I, I think this is a challenge, but there's a silver lining in this. You talk about a lease. In a lease, there's generally renewal options right, that are favorable. And the, and the way they read is, hey, if you don't let me know or if you want to renew, let me know in 90 days. Otherwise, you don't get to renew. right? Well, do you have a process that warns you? you know, maybe a couple months before the renewal option occurs that you should be renewing it. You got to bake that. Otherwise you're going to lose these things. You have a deposit. Did you forget to reclaim your deposits? And you might think that that's crazy, but if you have hundreds and hundreds of locations, you might forget. So it's not just the financial accounting. I think you have to think about the bigger picture and I got to look at all these contracts anyways. I got to look at all this stuff. How can I make the best use of this to add value right from the accounting perspective? And I mean, companies are literally leaving money on the table. They need to figure out how to reclaim it. So, Mike, I hope you never lose the passion. <laughs> no, no, no. I can no. understand now, Roger, when you said we got to have this guy. Yeah, I mean, you know. Oh, I mean, my goodness. We're talking technical audit issues. Yes. I mean, my gosh. Yeah. But your no, eyes light it. up when you talk about it, and that's 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 amazing to see. Yeah. No, You look, You can. T- I could talk for hours on end about this stuff. So, Well, we appreciate you being here, Mike, very much. And, um for those that would like to find out more, maybe reach out to you, look into your services, what's the best way to do that? I think going on the website, 
right? FraserandDeter.com. If you can't remember my name, just go there. I think you'll naturally fall into it. But again, Mike Chang, um, you got any accounting questions, anything related to that, please reach out. I'd be more than happy to talk to you about it. All right. Great. Great job, Mike. And uh, Roger, thank you for bringing right, Mike, Mike on. Yeah, thank you. We appreciate it. Amazing stuff today with uh, Mike Cheng with Frazier and Dieter. And a reminder that Business Beat is presented by the Alpharetta office of Frazier and Dieter. Frazier and Dieter is an award-winning international CPA and advisory firm with deep technical expertise and even deeper dedication to their clients. Their CPA and advisors believe in investing in relationships to make a difference. And you heard all about that today on the show. For more information, go to FraserDieter.com, and that's Fraser, F-R-A-Z-I-E-R, Dieter, D-E-E-T-E-R.com. Just in case anybody wants to stick an A in there and Dieter or something, we want to spell <laughs> it out, FraserDieter.com. John Ray will be back in the Catbird seat next month. Until then, I'm Mike Salmon, and thank you to, uh, for listening to Business Beat here on Business Radio X.